Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Lee Spencer. Hello, Lee. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Lee Spencer, probably better known as the Rowing Marine. I'm 53 and I'm originally from uh, Dagenham, although I've lived in the West Country in Devon uh, for the last 30 years. I've rowed the Atlantic uh, twice or once as a team of four and once solo. Uh, My first row was in 2015 with the Talisker. Uh, Whiskey Atlantic Challenge and Row to Recovery was our team name and uh, we were four amputees so between the four of us we had three legs between us and then my second row was solo uh, from Portugal to uh, Cayenne in South America. That row was 2019 and I'd done it in uh, 60 days, 16 hours and six minutes. The first row as part of a team was in 47 days, I think. And uh, that's that. We like to start with the big one. Why did you want to row across an ocean? Uh, the first time I even heard that rowing an ocean was a thing was back in 2004. And I was organising the Royal Marines Commando display team, which I was part of at the time. We had an end of season uh, party and there was a bar in Paul in Dorset and uh, on the, I went there to uh, have a look at the bar uh, and make sure it'd be okay. And I was talking to the landlord who was a former Royal Marine as well. And on the wall, there was a picture of this really odd looking boat. And I asked him what it was and he said, oh, that's the, my boat that I tried to uh, row across the Atlantic in. At that point, I'd never even heard of anyone rowing across an ocean. It just seemed such a, an incredible thing to do, an impossible thing to do. Now, I then spent about half an hour just questioning everything I could um, about, you know, how someone goes about, first of all, getting a boat made to, you know, specifically row across an ocean. And then completely forgot about it until uh, 2014. Um, after 22 years in the Marines, I unfortunately uh, lost my leg. I stopped at an accident on the M3. And whilst I was helping the people out, another car crashed and uh, hit the car, their car. And the, the engine came flying out. And uh, so I was hit by an, a uh, BMW 5 Series engine. And um, on my first uh, first time I was admitted to Headley Court, which is where the military do their rehabilitation, in the hospital bed opposite me uh, was this guy, a uh, double amputee. Um, and he had a big, huge beard, which is, uh, you know, quite unusual in the military and stands out. And I asked him, you know, what's with the beard? And he said, uh, I've just come back from rowing across the Atlantic. And... Uh, that was the first time that I realised really that, you know, having lost my leg, I thought, you know, that adventurous part of me, part of my life had gone forever. Uh, but then seeing someone with no legs lost both their legs and, you know, fingers on one hand as well, that, you know, I realised that those sort of opportunities were open to me. You know, I obviously sat and questioned him about it. His name was Cal Royce and he rode with 
Road to Recovery's second Atlantic Row, uh, and that was with the Talisker as well. And I think that was in, well, it was 2014. And I sat questioning him, talked about it, and, and it was amazing. They went with two able-bodied rowers and two uh, physically disabled rowers, and I was astonished by it all. And then later on that year, uh, so the end of 2014, I got an email asking uh, from Blesma, uh, the Limbless Veterans Charity, um, asking for volunteers to put together the all amputee row. So that's where I got the idea from, you know, talking to someone all those years ago who had attempted it. And then on my first admittance in my rehabilitation at Headley Court, um, meeting someone who'd actually done it. Uh, so it just seemed such an incredible thing and such a great opportunity that I applied, uh, then went through quite an extensive uh, selection process, the end of which I got uh, I made a member of Road to Recovery's first all-amputee crew to row. So that's the story behind the first row. After I finished, I remember finishing um, in, in Antigua and I said to my wife, you know, I'm thinking about doing this solo. And I, I kind of found myself where there was, uh, there was an opportunity that I thought might not come around again. Uh, firstly, I'd just done it, so I kind of knew how to. I reckoned I'd have about 18 months left in the Marines before they medically discharged me so I could work on something full-time uh, while still being paid by the Marines. And I thought it was a good and worthwhile thing to do. For me... The point behind the second row was to beat an able-bodied record as a disabled person to make the statement that no one should be defined by disability. So it was a culmination of the opportunity being there and realising that it might not come around again um, and grabbing it whilst I did. So that was the reasons behind both rows. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossing. Well, on the first one, uh, 2015 was uh, eight years ago now, almost. I suppose the, the biggest highlight was finishing. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was quite good. And when people ask you what's the best and what's the worst thing about running an ocean, I'd always say the best thing is uh, finishing and the worst thing is starting. Um, but for me, I'm, I've always loved wildlife and seeing you know, especially the mammals, you know, sea mammals, whales and uh, things like that was quite good. Um, so they they were the, the highlights, really, of uh, the first row. So that's finishing and uh, the wildlife. The second row, uh, that's a little bit more complicated because finishing was absolutely horrific. Um, and I'll, I'll probably go on to that in... Um, uh, one of the other questions, but I suppose the highlights for me were on my own. Were oh, actually, yeah, that's a good one. One of the highlights was uh, I come across uh, a boat. They basically called me up. A yacht that was going across the Atlantic called me up on the radio, and uh, they were asking where I was because they could see I was quite close because of the AIS, but couldn't see the mast. And uh, obviously I said to him, well, there's a reason I haven't got a mast. It's because I'm uh, a rowing boat. And they were uh, 
astonished and we had a little bit of a chat but they asked me they said do you know elaine hopley and i was like wow um elaine was someone that i actually went to elaine rode solo in 2016 i think uh and she's one of the people that i went to to get advice when i was first thinking about rowing solo and uh, they'd met Elaine and uh, I thought in the middle of the Atlantic you meet someone or you you talk to someone who knows someone you know I thought uh, wow that really is a small world Uh, so that was one of the highlights and also I was rowing this is coming into uh, probably about three weeks before the end as I was uh, rowing along I just heard this And I looked next to me and there was two sperm whale, a mother and a calf, right there. I could have touched them. And they, first of all, I was elated, I was amazed. And then a little bit of panic because I thought, oh, they're going to knock the boat over. But they just slid graciously underneath the boat and then um, appeared about 200 metres off to uh, the other side of the boat. And uh, that was amazing uh, seeing them. And I suppose on the first night, I just had a pod of dolphins that kind of followed me the whole night and they disappeared just as dawn came up. And it was like they were shadowing me on my first night at sea. So there's two highlights. Um, The finish for me was I was just absolutely empty. So that would have been an highlight, but it was was quite uh, difficult. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? On the first row, the hardest part physically and mentally was the first first 24 hours. Um, I think that was probably the worst 24 hours of my life up until that point. I was completely out of my depth, didn't know what I was doing and I almost had a panic attack. Uh, it took, when I got the 10 minute call to get out rowing, I just thought, I can't do this. I'm going to be the one who lets the team down. And then I thought even about the arrogance of believing with no experience either of rowing or of oceans before that I thought I could get in a rowing boat and row across the Atlantic. And it took every scrap of courage that I possessed to get out and start rowing for my rowing shift. And as soon as I did, it was like the uh, the spell was suddenly broken because I realised I could do it. All I had to do was just get out of that hatch every four hours and row for two hours. And I know that sounds like a massive cliche. It is a massive cliche, but, you know, if you break things up, I was looking at the entire ocean and wondering how on earth I was going to do it. So that was uh, the m- most difficult part, both physically and mentally, was the start of the uh, row. But on my second row, it was the other way round. The actual start of the row was quite quite easy. I got into a routine really quickly and I was expecting, kind of expecting that difficulty again to hit me. But it, it didn't, which was a real surprise. I, after five days on my own, I got a, um, all of my AIS, all my navigation system just crashed. And that coincided with getting a gastric uh, diarrhea and vomiting. Um, so that was a really, really difficult 24 hours trying to strip the the panel where all my uh, electronics was, trying to strip that down. I was talking to an engineer 
uh, on the phone. That was really, really difficult. But by far the hardest thing for me on my uh, second solo uh, row was the last two weeks. I hit the wall with about two weeks to go uh, physically. I was chased out of, uh, I, I came into the Canaries to get repairs. So I spent five days there. I was trying to beat Steinhoff's record. Uh, of two, he set that in 2002, and that was 96 days, 12 hours and 45 minutes. And I was trying to beat that with one leg. Um, and I'm sure uh, everybody who listens to this is aware that almost 70% of the power in rowing is generated from your legs. So I've, I've got half that with only one leg. So I'm already up against it. And having to come into uh, the Canaries to get repairs, it took two days to repair and then another three days waiting for a weather window to get me clear of the Canaries. And I was chased by Ralph Turin as well, who was after the same record. So I powered out and I kept that pace up virtually the whole way across. And the consequences of that were uh, was... With two weeks to go, I hit the wall. I had absolutely nothing left, but I had to keep rowing. We dropped 150 miles south uh, to use. There's a really strong current that goes up uh, the coast of South America so that that would nudge me up into uh, my finishing point uh, in the Mahuri River in KN. So I couldn't let up the pace. Also, the boat started to get really, really heavy with uh, all the barnacles underneath. The the conditions were absolutely horrific all the way across with waves. And I, I got out, I managed to get out after a week from the uh, Canaries and get underneath the boat and scrub the hull. But because of the waves, they were so big and the wind, the wind was quite strong, quite virtually the whole way across. I didn't get any of those flat calm days. Um, and those days where it was flat calm, uh, the, the current was just so strong in places that it, it would have been too dangerous to get out and uh, scrub the hole. So that really slowed me down. And the mental gymnastics that I went through to get myself out and row on every rowing shift was, you know, absolutely mentally draining so straight after becoming physically exhausted I became mentally exhausted and then on the tail of that became uh, emotionally exhausted and um, those last two weeks were quite well not quite they without a shadow of a doubt the hardest grimmest bleakest thing I have ever ever done it was horrible and when I finished there was no elation, nothing. I, I just was completely and utterly empty. Uh, that that was quite, um, yeah, <laughs> very different from the first row. When we rode into Antigua, it was probably the most incredible thing that I'd ever experienced. It was amazing. All the colours and the sounds and everything. It was almost like a sensory overload. It was in stark contrast when I finished in KN after my solo row, I was just completely and utterly empty. It was quite hard. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? I think the thing I miss most is not being at sea. <laughs> Both times, just not being able to, you know, 
get out and walk around and, and do do those sort of things like normal people do. It's quite restrictive. But I suppose the flip side to that is someone uh, someone once told me that actually there's there's simplicity to rowing an ocean. You you're taken away from all your normal worries of life, like mortgages and all your usual tripe and nonsense that fills our days and there's a real simplicity to rowing and that that's really true it's it is a very simple existence but I did miss being able to get out and and walk around you feel like you're quite enclosed and and your universe especially on on the solo row your universe is really just that tiny boat food I missed I do like me food Uh, I missed like proper meals. I, I, I was using Expedition Foods, high energy, uh, freeze dried meals, and they, they're fantastic in what, for what they do. But I really, really missed like proper chips and burgers and things like that. Uh, so food and being able to walk around, uh, they're the, uh, two things that I really missed. And, uh, I think I missed home as well. I mean, as in, you know, my house. Yeah. <laughs> How much training did you do before the row? I trained for uh, the first row. I trained for the selection. So I spent hours on a uh, rowing concept two rower because uh, I thought that most of the selection would revolve around uh, rowing on a rowing machine. And I was right. But once I got, uh, once I was part of the team, I don't think I went back on it. I kind of knew that strength would play a big part. We, I got to row a, a, a part of the selection of an, an actual rowing, ocean rowing boat up and down the Thames. And the thing that really shocked me was the amount of effort you had to, to pull on those oars to actually get the boat moving. So I knew that I'd have to build up strength. And for me second row, with all the lessons that I'd learned from the first row, my training regime was, uh, I say to people, the three priorities were to get as fit as I could, as fat as I could, and as strong as I could. And probably the most important out of those three was fat, followed by strong, and then followed by fit. So if I saw something heavy, if I couldn't eat it, I would uh, lift it. <laughs> so that was my uh, training regime, just eight. It's, it's when you're not hungry, forcing yourself to eat again, which, you know, it's quite unusual. It might seem quite a strange training regime. But I, you know, with my metabolism, I lost so much weight on the first row. Uh, I knew that I'd have to put the weight on. So I put on close to two and a half stone for the second row, and I lost what, over three and a half stone, approaching may even be a four stone which is two stone a month, which is horrific when you think about it. But that's, they were my priorities, get as fat as I could and as strong as I could. Did you suffer from any injuries, sores, nasties or sickness? I didn't uh, suffer any injuries or any sores. And apart from the bout of, on my uh, solo row in, on day five, when I had uh, sickness and diarrhoea, I uh, didn't really um, suffer any illnesses. In the middle 
of the Atlantic on my solo row, I was hit by some really, really challenging weather. Um, mentally, it was uh, really bad. I was petrified. I remember being absolutely petrified for almost four days solid. I couldn't sleep. Couldn't. If I was having difficulty even just sleeping and eating and keeping myself functioning. I had to come up with a, uh, a coping mechanism to deal with the fear. And that centred round uh, distraction. So I saved every single scrap of morale that I had. That would be my favourite tunes. Or, or, you know, if I, I was listening to podcasts and also audio books going across. And that, that part where if he was reading, normally that page turning bit where you can't put it down, I'd stop and wait for those moments when the fear was too much and I couldn't bear it. And then I'd listen. And those those bits of morale was enough to distract me from the fear enough to make it bearable. But one thing that that did do is I kind of took the my eye off the ball from wiping uh, all the salt off after every rowing session, and I started to get little sores coming, and I, I kind of bucked my ideas up and realised that. You know, I've got to look after my body as well. So that's the closest to any sores that I did get was in the middle of uh, the bang in the middle of the ocean on my uh, uh, second solo row. Can you think of three songs which remind you of your row? There's only one really that really reminds me of the row and that's Get Lucky by uh, Daft Punk. There's something about the the beat and the rhythm that just fitted perfectly with the cadence uh, of my my rowing, I suppose. And that, that period in the middle of the row where fear, the fear was horrific. Uh, one of the songs that I used to distract me when I was rowing, uh, specifically when I was rowing, was that song by Daft Punk, Get Lucky. It's the row the action of rowing almost becomes a dance. I know that sounds ridiculous, but there's something about the rhythm of my cadence where it just fitted perfectly and it would take me away a little bit. It take me away from the uh, the awfulness of the situation at the time, uh, the big waves that were crashing around me. So that's, that's the song. And even now, uh, what am I, four years away from my solo row? Even now, when I sit and listen to it, I'm transported right back to the ocean. Did you suffer from any post-adventure blues? On the first row, there was a lot of post-row interviews and stuff that we had to do. And life just changed. And then I kind of just focused on getting the uh, second solo row off the ground. So I didn't really have that point where... I was sat thinking and mulling over what had happened and the high of actually rowing into Antigua. So there wasn't really that low. And um, on the second row, yeah, I don't think I did have any post-adventure blues. Once I'd kind of got over that awfulness of the last two weeks and rowing in and started to get a little bit of normality back, that if I did have any post blues that would have covered it I think so it's not something that, I, that um, I've ever had I, think, I also think 
with losing my leg, I'm quite well practiced at looking forward and not mulling over what's just happened. And I think that's, you know, obviously a coping mechanism because <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to sit there mulling over what's happened to you and feeling sorry for yourself. And I think I'm quite good at just looking forward and uh, not dwelling too much on what's just happened. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? Apart from do it, uh, it's amazing. There's something that people don't tell you about or no one told me. And that's be prepared to have everything stripped away. All those walls that you put up, they may be all those lies that you tell yourself about yourself. They'll all go. Everything will be stripped away. And you'll see yourself for who you are. So be prepared for that. On my first row, I wasn't. I didn't realise that that was going to happen. But you do, you see, and if you're part of a team, you have that, you see everybody else as they are as well. Rowing an ocean is such a, such a difficult, physically difficult thing to do that all those layers just get stripped away and you see other people for who they really are. They see you for who you really are. And also you see yourself for who you really are as well. And that kind of leads into another bit of advice, especially for teams, is have the understanding that everyone in that team is doing what they can do at that point in time. Everybody has, you know, has a difficulty, has a bad day, has a bad week even, where they just can't, perform where they were before everybody has those moments and you will as well so it's understanding that everyone on that boat at that point is pulling on those oars as hard as they possibly can at that point in time so that's really quite important putting the row together there's you know someone said to me that getting the boat in the water in the first place is way harder than actually rowing it and that's very true as well and that point about what people were doing you know everybody being able to do what they can is important as well when you're when you're leading up because there'll be people who you know who haven't got the same commitments who are able to do more go see more potential sponsors and put more effort in uh, than you know other people who might have uh, more commitments, more family commitments, but it's having that understanding that everyone in that team is doing what they can at that point in time. So that goes for putting the road together and leading up to it as well as actually when you're in the boat. And finally, would you do it again? No. <laughs> um, mainly because uh, there'd have to be a reason. I set out, the reason behind the second row was to break an able-bodied record, which I did. And I did quite well. I, I beat it by 36 days. So it'd have to be something special that would get me back in a boat again. I enjoyed it. 
I'm so glad that I did it, but it would have to be for a, a really good reason uh, before I get back in the, in, in the boat. A huge thank you to Lee for sharing his story and all of his advice. Lee is such a huge inspiration for so many people and his adventures didn't stop at ocean rowing. So go and look him up on the Google and find out more about him. If you are an ocean rower and you would like to share your story, please get in touch. Either drop me an email to theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com or send me a DM on Instagram at theoceanrowingclub. I would love to have you on as a guest. If you are enjoying the podcast, please tap those five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and like, share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when we are back with another female trio. Toodle pip!